Thank you for joining me for Moments to Ponder Christmas. I'm Betsy Marvin, and this is Episode 7. We have come to the week of Christmas. The end of Advent and the beginning of Epiphany is before us. During this series, we have compared heavy and light burdens in relation to Jesus' words in Matthew, and we've connected them to the people of the Christmas story. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. As I record this podcast, Christmas is a few short days away. And for some, these days will be full of last-minute shopping and wrapping presents. For others, it will be slow-moving days with a reminder that life is different this year. There will be a mixture of gratitude and grief, excitement and reminders, gatherings and loneliness. Yet Jesus' word remains true throughout it all. Come to me, and I will give you rest. He's speaking of rest from the heavy burdens of life that weigh us down and zap our energy. He reminds us that his teaching is good. He is humble and gentle at heart. And in this, we will find rest for our souls. So, how is your soul? Are you weary? One element of being weary, at least for me, is trying to be strong. This can take on many forms. A brave face in the midst of a hard situation. Stepping up rather than stepping out doing that one more thing because you feel you have to, owning responsibility, offering more of yourself, whether it's time or energy. I could go on and on. Strength is valued in our world. The weak are preyed on. And if I'm honest, and if you're honest, we know we are weak in so many ways. And we often seek to be strong to hide those weaknesses. I've been around Jesus long enough to know that he isn't asking me to be strong. In his countercultural way, he is patiently waiting for me to remember that he is the strong one. And when I remember this, it changes the weight I carry and shifts it to his shoulders. That night, in a field near Bethlehem, shepherds were watching over their flocks. Suddenly, 
an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God. And the shepherds were terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard, and it's for everyone, everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by this miraculous sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Then all at once in the night sky, a vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heaven, and they all praised God, singing, Glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men. When the choir of angels disappeared and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go! Let's hurry and find this word who was born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they hurried off and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a feeding trough. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted just what had happened. Everyone who heard the shepherds' story was astonished by what they were told. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. The shepherds returned to their flock ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified Him for all they had heard and seen for themselves just like the angel had said. Luke 2, 8 through 20. Although this is the story of the shepherds and has so much we could talk about, for our last episode in this series, I want to focus on the sweet, helpless little baby, the Son of God the one that the shepherds ran to discover, the one that wise men gave over a year of their life to find, the one that caused a fiancé to question his beloved, and the one that left his father to live among us. If you've ever held a newborn baby, you know just how weak they are. They can do nothing themselves, not even hold up their own head. And this is Jesus, the one that was there at the creation of the world, now needing diaper changes and feedings at 2 a.m. I can't even begin to comprehend the mystery of all that Jesus knew living within that tiny human body. What was it like for him to know the power of the universe had been worshipped by angels? And yet he can only make gurgling sounds and depend on Mary to carry him. I read a lot and I'm drawn to authors that seek to pull back the veil to the unseen in the spiritual realm using their imagination brings to my mind possibilities 
and it builds curiosity into what Scripture only hints of. For instance, in this passage, the shepherd saw a heavenly host. What was going on in heaven that day? How, how many were there and how big were they? Were the angels praising God with tears as they contemplated all that Jesus would endure? Author Charles Martin writes in his blog of the moment in heaven before Jesus becomes the Word made flesh. He imagines what might have transpired between the Father and the Son. Elsewhere, in the throne room of heaven, the Son of God rises from his throne and takes off his robe and the golden band around his chest. He unbuckles his sword and leans it in the corner of his throne, along with his diadem. Then he removes his priestly and kingly garb where it's folded by attending angels, each having three sets of wings. When finished, he stands naked save a loincloth. His hair is white as wool, as white as snow. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters, like Niagara or the break at Pipeline. Finally, he takes off his own crown and places it on the seat. The heavenly host, millions upon millions, bow at his feet, and yet it is pin-drop quiet. God the Father rises as his son crosses the fiery stones. The Father hugs the son, burying his face in his son's cheek, and kisses him. The time has come. On earth, the sons of Adam have lost their way, each gone their own way, astray. Things are bad. The entire human race has been taken captive, and the enemy is torturing them. Not one of them will survive the night. The son has volunteered for a rescue mission, but it's a prisoner exchange. Their freedom will cost the son everything. His life for theirs. The father holds his son's hands in his and tenderly touches the center of his palm. He knows what's coming. A tear rolls down the face of the ancient of days. The son thumbs it away. I'll miss you. He glances at the earth below and hell in between. Billions of faces shine across the timeline of history. He knows each by name. They are the joy set before him. He turns to his father. I will give them your word and declare to them your great name. The son looks with longing at his home. As he turns to leave, he says, And uh, we're going to need more rooms in this house because when I come back, he waves his hand across the timeline, I'm bringing them with me. 
the sun whose countenance is like the sun shining in all its strength, exits heaven, blanketed in the singing of more than a hundred million angels and bathed in the tears of the Father. He left heaven for you. He chose to come as a baby for you. Small, helpless, in an insignificant town to a no-name young woman in a less-than-clean place. He is humility and weakness, literally. He chose to grow up in obscurity, learning the trade of his earthly father and attending Hebrew school. All of his power and glory hidden until it was time. Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph saw a small glimpse of the glory through Gabriel. The shepherds saw the glory on the hillside. The ladies saw it at the tomb. And Paul saw it along the road. And we get a tiny bit of it in small moments of candlelight or worship, silence or prayer. These moments when the air between the earthly and the heavenly realms seems thin. Jesus is strength, yet humble. He is all-powerful, yet gentle. We can find rest for our souls when we stop trying to always be strong and allow Him to bear the yoke of it all. Many in scripture have written on this very thing, strong versus weak. In Psalm 73:26, David says, Lord, so many times I fail. I fall into disgrace. But when I trust in you, I have a strong and glorious presence protecting and anointing me. Forever, you're all I need. In Isaiah 40, 29, Isaiah says, He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And for Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, he says this, But he answered me, My grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So, Paul goes on, I will celebrate my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. So, how's your soul? Do you need to lead into his strength this season? 
may our weakness become a portal to God's power. This story is astonishing, yet it's so familiar. Does it still astonish you? Scriptures tell us that everyone who heard the shepherds were astonished at what they had seen, but we get the impression that it didn't change them. They heard of this great event, but went on their way with life. May this not just be an event this season. May it be a moment in time that changes everything because it changed everything. May you embrace the mystery of the upside down, the mystery of choosing to be loving, the mystery of abiding, and knowing that when we are weak, He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus came at that amazing moment in history because he is for you. He believes in you and he loves you. May you have a Merry Christmas. Amen. Amen.